0: Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining me on the Luke Brugger podcast. Today we're going to talk about three ways that you can cultivate love and one reason why it is enormously important to do so. I don't know if you've ever been walking and uh, caught part of your clothing on uh, a sharp edge, or a doorknob, or a loose nail, or something. And as you're walking, you get hung up on it, and maybe it makes you stop. Or I've had a few times where it's actually torn my clothes because I just kept walking. Uh, that, that's what happens when you get hooked on something: is it it, it latches on and it doesn't want. To let go, or maybe if you've been walking in the woods or in a field somewhere and you get little briars, or some people call them hitchhikers, or whatever you call them, those little things that get all over your shoelaces and pant legs that they, they attach to you. That's essentially what happens with a hook and why things have hooks, right? It's to latch on to something else, to to make an attachment, and ideally for that attachment to remain. In place. I want to talk a little bit about having a proper hook in our lives that Jesus says that we should have and the role that it plays. I want to read from Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, it says, "But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, "Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law?" Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees would sometimes send people to Jesus to ask questions, trying to trap him, trying to discredit him, trying to make him say something that would make him look foolish or stump him somehow, get him to say something they could then uh, accuse him of not properly respecting the law, those kinds of motives. And so this is one of those instances, and they ask him, of all the instructions of the law, of the Old Testament, all the things we're instructed to do, they wanted him just to isolate the greatest. What's the one great commandment from the law? And he gives this incredible answer as Jesus always did. He'd always give these great answers to stump them or to amaze them. And he says, well, the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, love him with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second one is like it, and we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves." So uh, a level of love that we should have for everyone around us to love them like we love ourselves and to love God with unlimited, with all that we have, love him with all of our heart, love him with all of our soul, all all of our mind. And he says that these these are the, the two greatest commandments, number one and number two, that we're supposed to walk in love, right? These are the most important thing. The greatest thing that we can do is to walk in love, love our neighbors, love God with all of our heart. But that's not where he stops. He adds this in verse 40. Verse 40 says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So when he says all the law and the prophets of, of the Old Testament, that's all the scripture that they had, right? They had the law. They had the prophets. So he's talking about all scripture. And he says this to emphasize the importance of the commands he just given But more than just emphasizing what he said, he's also giving us revelation of how important it really is and the effect that obeying these two commands has in our life or what is missing if we don't obey these two commands. He says, on these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets or hang all the scripture that all scripture depends on, relies on having those commands in place. And so if those commands are in place, if we're not obeying them, then there's nothing for Scripture to hang on in our lives. There's nothing for them to attach to in our lives. So if we are walking in obedience, I love God with all of my heart. I love the people around me the same way that I love myself. Then that provides a hook for all scripture to hang on. But if that is missing in our lives, then scripture has no place to attach to. The, the way that I think of it, I, I just imagine like a coat hook or a coat rack in my mind that if you have a hook by the door at your house, you walk in, you can just kind of throw your jacket. Obviously, if there's no, if there's no hook there, that jacket's just gonna hit the wall and slide right down to the floor. But if there's a hook, it will attach and it will it will hang there. It'll be in place. It's not just going to fall or just pass by that spot on the wall. And he's saying that these commands, loving God with all of our heart, loving God, loving people the way that we love ourselves, it functions the same way. So we can encounter the the commands of God, different parts of scripture uh, to forgive other people the way that God in Christ has forgiven us. That if I'm loving God, if I'm loving people around me, that when I encounter that instruction from the word of God, it doesn't just slide by, it doesn't just go sailing by my life, it it attaches, it has a place to start bringing forth fruit in my life. I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that the, the tithe belongs to the Lord. As I'm encountering all these things from the word of God, if I'm loving God with all of my heart, if I'm loving my neighbor like I love myself, I encounter them and they, they remain in place They have someplace in my life. But if I don't have these commands, it's like that coat hitting the wall and just sliding down. You can encounter, you know, walk in purity, uh, be kind to one another. And, you know, you're encountering scripture, but it just sails right by and it has no effect in, in our lives. God's word is incredibly powerful. The Bible says that God's word is light, that the entrance of his word brings light, that it it revives the soul, it's refreshing, it brings strength and life to our spirit man. The Bible says that God's word, it, it can transform a simple person into a wise person, all kinds of amazing things that God's word does in our lives. It's powerful, it's living, it's active. But as wonderful as God's word is, it's possible for people to encounter it and it have no effect in their lives. That people can hear God's word, read God's word, be taught God's word. They can know God's word. They can quote God's word. It has no effect because there's no place for it to latch onto. Jesus said, these two commands, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves." serve as a hook all other scripture hangs on relies on depends on those two commands makes me think of the story of the sower the parable of the sower that jesus told that this farmer's going around sowing seed and it says that the seed is the word of god and then it tells us about four different soil types and only one of the four 25 percent of the the seed finds a place where it actually produces fruit it goes on to fruitfulness and it it multiplies 30 60 100 fold well what what was different about that soil than the other three types of soil why was the word of God I mean God the seed was the same what was so significant about that soil that it was able to do unlock its potential where it was where it was planted well, it says that the good soil represents the heart that hears the word of God and receives it. That means that it hangs on to. It's the same word that would be used if we were playing catch with a, a football or something. If I threw the ball to you and you received it successfully, it doesn't mean that the ball hit you in the chest. It doesn't mean that the ball hits you in the hands. That's part of it. That's good. That's important. But for it to be a, a successful reception when the ball gets to you, then you need to hang on to it, that you grab onto it, you hold on to it, you cling on to it. It's saying that was different, that's what was different about that soil, is that when it encountered the Word of God, it clung to it. Now, with what Jesus said about those two commandments, it lets us know what causes somebody to cling to the Word of God so it can do what it has the potential to do, that they cling to the Word of God, because God, I love you with all of my heart. I love you with all of my soul, with all of my mind. I'm not letting go. I'm not going to allow a bird. I'm not going to allow The devil to snatch this word from me. I'm not going to get discouraged through hard times and give up on God's word. I I love people. I want to be like Jesus to them. I want my heart to be changed. I want to be fruitful. I'm not going to allow the things of this world and the cares of this world to crowd out the word of God. I love God with all of my heart. That's how we produce a soil in our lives where God's word, we, we don't just encounter it, we cling to it. What does it hang on? What causes us to attach to it? Jesus said, All scripture hangs on people loving God with all of their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and loving their neighbor as their self. So that, that's the huge reason why this is so important. I want to give you three simple ways to cultivate love in your, in your life, to cultivate love in your heart. Not exhaustive, just a few things that you can do. Number one is you need to die to yourself. Let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse one. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So he says, In the last days, there's going to come a time, perilous times, where people will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. And then as he, he goes on listing these things, you could really understand it as breaking down what it looks like when somebody is, is selfish, when someone is a lover of pleasure, when they are proud, when they're haughty, when they love money, when they are, are boasters. All this stuff is really an elaboration, a description of someone's life when they're selfish, when, when they love themselves. So he says people are going to be lovers of themselves, describes what it's like, instead of, in place of, lovers of God. So it's one or the other. If I'm going to love God, I can't be in love with myself. That's why the Bible tells us we've got to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves. It was a basic requirement for being a follower of Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So if I want to love God, I've got to die to myself says, instead of or rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power. Because if they don't love God, then there's no place for the power of God's word to latch onto in their lives. That the fruitfulness, the, the manifestation of the power of God's word it has no place because these people are busy loving themselves instead of loving God. And the power from God's word comes in someone's life who's learned to die to themselves and Instead, they, they love God, and it's in that life where you can see the power. It's not just pretending uh, to be religious like these people are, that they seem like they love God, they sing the songs, they lift their hands and worship, they, they know all the religious stuff to do on a Sunday morning, but when you get down to it, there's a lack of power because there's really not a hook for God's Word to attach to and find a root and bring forth fruit in their lives because they don't love God with all of their heart, and they don't really love their neighbors they they love themselves that's that's what they love so number 1 i'm going to cultivate love in my life i've got to learn to die to myself second way you can cultivate love you've got to allow god to love you just let god love you very simple but something people struggle with all the time first john 4:19 says we love we love because he first loved us I love God with all of my heart. I love the people around me. Why? What's the starting point of that? Because God first loved me. So I've got to receive God's love for me and understand that God is for you. He's not against you. God loves you. He's not looking to hold things against you. He's not focused on your faults and your shortcomings. He's not fixated on when you messed up 10 years ago. Those things that the enemy stirs in our hearts and our minds to get us to question God's love and his attitude towards us. It's important that you accept that God, God loves you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer imputing or holding men's trespasses, men's sins against them. That, that's what the gospel is all about. There's forgiveness of sins through Jesus. That God is not looking to hold your sins against you. He's, he's looking to draw people, to reconcile the world to himself. Micah 7.18 says that he delights to show mercy. He He loves showing mercy. It's It's not aggravating to him to forgive you and for you to know that you are clean and acceptable to him. He loves you. And when a person doesn't accept that God loves them and that God is for them, when people get it in their mind that somehow God is against them, it has devastating effects on their ability to reach their potential. And I'll give you an example of that from the Bible. Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 verse 12 Jesus tells a parable of servants. I'll just read a couple of the verses. Luke 19, verse 12. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I'm gone. So there's a master." giving instruction to his servants. What is the the instruction? What is the command? Very simple. Invest this for me while I'm gone. That's all he tells them. Invest this for me. That was the instruction. So the master goes away. He's crowned. He returns, and he's going over accounts with, with his servants. The first couple of servants have a good return on their investment. They were obedient. He rewards them. Then we get to the third servant. We'll skip to verse 20, Luke 19, 20. It says, but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money, and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. So what was the servant instructed to do? He, he was told to invest the money. Did he invest the money? No, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't obedient. So the master's word went sailing right past that servant. The master's instruction didn't find a hook to attach to. It didn't find place in this servant's life. So we know that the servant didn't really love the master. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. So this servant didn't love the master. Why didn't he love the master? Well, it says, he's explaining his case. He says, I was was afraid. Well, the Bible says that Perfect love casts out fear. So he didn't love the master. He wasn't obedient. The master's command didn't find place because he he didn't trust the master's love for him. Why was he afraid? He says in verse 21, I thought you were a hard man to deal with. I thought that you were were severe. I thought that you were harsh. I thought that you didn't like me. I thought you were just going to point out how I was inadequate. He didn't trust the heart of the master towards him. That created fear and it kept him from accepting the Master's love. Trusting, trusting God loves you, and trusting that He's for you is the foundation for being fruitful and reaching your potential in the Lord. You know, ha- having fear removed from your life, it's not just about a feeling. Having fear out of your life liberates you to do what you've been called to do. So, It's not about feeling God loves you. It's about having faith that God loves you and ex- just accepting the fact that God loves you. And that sets you free to not be caught up in fear, and you're not bound in fear. That's why this servant, that's his own explanation, why he didn't do anything, he said, I was, I was afraid. That fear kept him from it. And knowing that God is for you, he's not against you, that he loves you, that sets you free. It removes that fear and liberates you to do what he's called you to do, to walk in, in obedience. It gives us a heart that loves him. Think of the story of Mary when the angel came to her. The angel said, Greeting, greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. That set the foundation, knowing, man, God is for you. God is crazy. He loves you so much that at the end of that encounter with the angel, when Mary says, May it be to me, I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. That response came from the foundation of knowing God's God's looking at me through love. He loves me. He accepts me. So number one, if I want to cultivate love in my life, I need to die to myself. Number two, I need to let God love me. Just accept the fact he loves you and he is for you. He's not looking to hold your failures against you. He He wants his strength to be made perfect in your weakness. Number three, the third one really quickly, Romans chapter five, verse five, it says, Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God is poured out, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The third way to cultivate love is to cultivate our fellowship with the Holy Spirit and to rely on the Holy Spirit to invite him to come and shed the love of God abroad. Pour out the love of God. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I need the fruit of the Spirit. I need love in my life. I'm looking to you to help me to love my neighbor, love the people around me, to love my family, my co-workers, love the people that I need. I need you. I need your help. Help me to love God with all of my heart. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come and be your helper. That's what Jesus said he was coming to do, to be the one who comes alongside us and to help us to be a, one who gives strength. I, Lord, I need you to strengthen me so that I can love. So number one, die to self. Number two, just let God love you. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit to cultivate love. And why do we need to cultivate love? Because Jesus said, all scripture hangs on, hangs on these commandments. Love God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we don't have those commands in place, there is no hook There's no place for God's word to attach to in our lives and our life ends up unfruitful, unfruitful because God's word isn't able to to do what only God's word can do in our lives. Let me pray with you. Father, we love you and we thank you that you first loved us. And God, we ask for grace to receive that love, to trust that love. Father, grace to be able to die to ourselves. I pray for every person listening, every person watching. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them right now to shed abroad your love in their hearts. Father, to bring revelation of how deep and real your love for them is. To help us to not be selfish, but to die to ourselves. Father, that when we encounter your word, it has a place to hang in our lives. And it would hang on our obedience, that we love you with all of our heart and we love the people around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Luke Brugger Podcast.